You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual There's a church in New York City, in Harlem, that I've never spoken about before, and perhaps I should have, but I've read about it a lot. But Joe Jervis, the genius behind Joe, my God, a really terrific, comprehensive LGBT news and information website, a one-man comprehensive operation. It's a really terrific site. I go there every day. You should be going there, too. He's been writing a lot about this church over the years. It's called Atla Worldwide Church in Harlem, and the pastor's name is James Manning. And maybe you've heard of this church because other people have written about it too, but it's really Joe who deserves credit for staying on top of it. Atla Worldwide has a huge sign outside their church on which the pastor sends messages to everyday average New Yorkers like Jesus Woodstone homos. The guy's a little crazy. I'm just going to rattle this off from Joe, my God. In the last year, Manning has declared that Starbucks laces their lattes with sodomite semen. And he's claimed that despite the semen being frothed, being steamed and added to coffee, that this sodomite semen in the lattes that women of New York and everywhere else are drinking, it can get them pregnant by some transitive fallopian property that just shoots the semen from the woman's mouth to her naughty bits. He's also said that George H.W. Bush had anal sex with 100 men, that all gay Americans will become cannibals, that Islamists are justified in executing homosexuals, that Justin Bieber is a transgender man, and that Christian preachers should call gay men faggots as often as possible. The guy's kind of an asshole. Also turns out the guy's kind of a deadbeat. James Manning and his little hate church have unpaid bills to the tune of $1.02 million, and his church is being foreclosed upon for debt and being put up for auction, which is where the Ali Forney Center comes in. The Ali Forney Center provides services for homeless LGBT youth in New York City, A lot of LGBT youth from other states flee to New York City. So in providing services to LGBT youth in New York City, Alifornia is providing services to LGBT youth from all over the country, really. And Alifornia is located also in Harlem. And Alifornia could use a big new facility, a nice large building like this fucking church, like this building that this church currently inhabits, which it will not be inhabiting for much longer because it's being put up for auction to pay the deadbeat pastor's deadbeat debts. An online campaign has been launched to raise the money required, and they're almost halfway there. The church is probably going to sell for about a million. That's the estimate. And Alifornia, if they can raise $200,000, we will leverage some grants and other public support to raise enough money to buy this building and turn it from really an outpost of rabid, anti-queer, anti-everybody bigotry into a place where people who are victims of that kind of rabid anti-gay bigotry, the kind of anti-queer bigotry, anti-trans bigotry, stoked by this fucking asshole, where those victims can go to be helped, go to be healed, go for services, for vocational services, for housing, for healthcare services. Ali Forney will be able to do that for them in this place. Talk about poetic justice. It would be a beautiful thing. They only need to raise about two hundred grand. they are already at... $80,000 just over the weekend when nobody was really paying attention. So now that it's the week, we should jump in there and we should all make a donation to help buy this church out from under the bigots and hand it to who? 
handed to people who are taking care of victims of exactly this kind of bigotry. LGBT youth. 40% of all homeless youth are LGBT youth who've been kicked out or thrown out of their houses after they came out or were outed to their families. Many LGBT youth who live on the streets of New York are victims not of peer bullying, but of the worst kind of bullying, parental bullying, and parental abandonment because they are queer. And they need help and they need services. And Ali Forney has been in the trenches providing services to LGBT youth for a long time. And Ali Forney needs more space. A lot of people they need to help. And this building has tons of space. And all the space in this building right now is being taken up by the gas that comes out of that man's asshole mouth. Let's take it from them. Somebody's going to get this building. It's being auctioned at foreclosure. People who deserve this building, folks at Aliforni and the folks that they serve. You can get on Twitter and look for the hashtag Harlem No Hate. You can go to AliforniCenter.DonorDrive.com to make a donation to help Aliforni get up to 200000 so they can buy the Atla facility out from under the bigots. Again, that address, AliforniCenter.DonorDrive.com. Support the Harlem No Hate campaign. Hashtag Harlem No Hate on Twitter. And let's buy this church. Like I always say, I never ask you to kick in some money if we're not kicking in some money ourselves. Terry and I are making a donation to this effort. And we're encouraging everybody out there who cares to, to join us in supporting the Alley Forney Center and join us in helping to rid Harlem of this insane bigot. One more quick shout out and thanks to Joe Jervis at Joe My God for covering this. You should be going to JoeMyGod.com every day if you're interested in LGBT issues. All right, coming up today on The Lovecast, we have got Mike Pesca from The Gist and Slate here to talk about sports. I needed a hand with that. And we have the author of a big new study on HPV and head cancers that came out just in the last week on today's show. Hey, Dan. I'm a straight female in my early 30s. So uh, several months ago, I met this girl in a sports league. She was on, on my team, and I thought she seemed pretty cool, seemed like the type of girl I'd be friends with. Um, I didn't really get to know her well enough during the season, but I'm thinking now about getting in touch to see if she wants to do something. Um, and I know this might sound like a stupid question, but I'm not really sure what to do because I think she has a girlfriend. So would it be weird of me to reach out to her? Like if she were a straight guy and I knew that he had a girlfriend, I definitely would keep my distance um, in terms of trying to forge a friendship. So I'm just not sure if it's any different because she's a girl. Um, and to complicate things a little bit, I don't know for sure that she's gay. Um, so I don't think it's as easy as just saying like, Hey, do you and your girlfriend want to join my boyfriend and I for dinner? So I'm probably overthinking this, but if you have any advice, that would be awesome. You're definitely overthinking this. It's very nice of the tech savvy at risk youth to hand me such an easy one at the top of the show. Here we go. Have a little dinner party. Give this woman a call. Say you're having a few people over from the game few people from the team just to have dinner and everybody gets to know each other better and catch up and you'd like to invite her and her SO if indeed she has one. Period. The end. And then invite a couple of – period. The end. And then invite a few other people over and you'll get to know her better. Da, 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 da. Simple. But in answer to your question, is this any different since she's a girl? You indicate that if this was a guy with a girlfriend that you were interested in pursuing a friendship with, you would, of course, not reach out to him because that might be misconstrued and it could be extremely awkward, jealousy, 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 right? But since she's a girl, you wonder if the same rules apply because she has a girlfriend and she might be interested in you sexually even if you as a straight woman aren't interested in her sexually and here we are back at really overthinking this. But I am here from Gayland, 
immediately next door in lesbian land to let you know that we don't do shit like this that often. We don't have the luxury. There aren't as many of us as there are of you. Most gay men's close friendships are with other gay men. And many lesbians' closest friendships are with other lesbians. So this taboo that exists in straight land where you can't be friends with someone if you're of one gender and they have partners of the other gender, that kind of doesn't apply in gay and lesbian land. So I guess an answer to your question is, is it any different since she's a girl? Well, if she's a lesbian girl, yeah, it's different. It's not an issue for most lesbians and bi women. This would not be an issue. You forging a friendship with somebody's girlfriend, even though you're a girl too, would not be an issue. You are projecting your straight, crazy rules and taboos bullshit onto queer people. And really, what's wrong with pursuing a friendship with a man if you're a woman and there's this dude and he has a female partner? I know what's wrong with it because you hear about it all the time. People are insecure. That's what's wrong with it. So actually, there's nothing wrong with it. There's something wrong with people who may get engaged. So actually, there's nothing wrong with it. There's something wrong with some people who have insecurities about it. But it itself, friendships that cross gender barriers and hetero taboos, nothing wrong with them. Something wrong with the people who have a problem with them. And it seems like a lot of straight people out there have problems with that. So there's a lot of hand-wringing and worrying and trying to control for those problems, those people who are the problems, not the friendships. The friendships are not the problems. The people who are insecure and jealous and controlling, they're the problem. Uh, hey, Dan. Uh, I'm a cisgendered white male, late 20s, living in a major East Coast city uh, interesting thing happened today. I've been dating this woman. Uh, she's a little younger than I am, uh, out of college, etc. She lives in a very expensive part of the city. She's supported by her parents. Um, she's an ex-model, ex-anorexic, uh, but she seems to be doing really well. She just doesn't have a job. She's supported by her parents. I'm like, whatever, it's fine. Um, she's, the sex is unbelievably good. She's incredibly charming. Etc. Like things are going really well. We're about, you know, a little less, little less than a month in, but it's been a month we've spent um, together quite a bit. And she tells me today, just kind of out of the blue, like, oh yeah, by the way, like, I've got like three dollars left that's lasting me the rest of the month, like for the next three weeks. And I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> like, how how are you going to survive on three dollars? for the rest of the month. And, you know, meanwhile, I've got a well-paying job. Like I'm paying my own rent and I enjoy a large amount of financial independence. Like, do I have some reasonable expectation that she'll be able to pay for a subway ride to my apartment? I mean, she's, she's saying like, yeah, I probably won't be able to use the subway or, or whatever until my parents give me more money. And I'm just kind of baffled and confused. Like, I, I happen to know the dollar amount that her parents gave her at the beginning of the month, and it's substantial. Um, it's not like they gave her $50, you know. So, I don't know. She's she's talking about how she's very sensitive about her, you know, being bad with money. But, I, do, I mean, do I have a right to be, like, kind of perturbed at this situation <laughs> like so i have some reasonable expectation when i start dating somebody that like i don't know they might have just enough if not independence financially then 
like some basic ability to manage their own funds. I don't know. I mean, she's really attractive and smart and beautiful, but I find myself really uh, turned off by this. I don't know. Maybe Dan, could you shed some light on the situation? Like, is this, I don't know, grounds for me to be upset? Well, that depends. That depends on what you want out of this girl or what you want to put into this girl. If you just want to have some fun and fuck around and date her for a while and have a wonderful short-termish relationship with somebody who's sexy but chaotic and terrible with money, then it's fine. No issue. If what you want, though, is some sort of committed, long-term, stable relationship with someone who's not going to be wholly economically dependent upon you and force you into playing the role of mommy and daddy to her for the rest of her life, yeah, then this is a problem, right? Look at what she's telling you. Look at who she is. Look at what she's incapable of. And you have to ask yourself if you want to be Mr. Trump to her Mrs. Trump. Do you want what she probably needs is a trophy husband? Do you want a trophy wife? And can you swing one? Because if she is an adult who cannot hold a job and has never held a job and lives as an adult on an allowance for mommy and daddy that she runs through despite having really no expenses from the sounds of things, what was it that Maya Angelou said about listening to people when they tell you who they are? She is telling you who she is and you should listen to her. Now, I do think the culture attaches way too much importance to everyone having to be an economic engine in every relationship, that we all have to bring sort of equal piles of cash to the table, that you should only mate or marry someone who is exactly the same rainmaker that you are. There are people out there who aren't cut out for work. There are people out there who are homebodies. I think I married one myself, right? So you can be with someone where you are the provider. If you can swing it on a single income – the both of you living and she isn't going to run up debt and she isn't Marie Antoinette. There are worse things than someone hot who you like spending time with who you support. But if you don't want to support someone, this person may be fine for a fling and fine for a temporary girlfriend, but is not going to be the life partner that you want. If you don't want to support someone for the rest of her life and be her parents and be forced into the kind of unerotic or eroticism killing role of parent, which when her parents die or cut her off, particularly if they've offloaded her to you by then, you will become. Hi, I'm calling, asking a question about a uh, 21 year relationship marriage that is just ending that was open for 20 of those years. Uh, she had many other lovers, as did I. Uh, and history is getting rewritten. Events where she expressed to both me and to uh, uh, others that were involved how completely delighted she was and happy she was and everything was wonderful. And now all of a sudden everything was horrible and terrible and she never felt any compersion, whereas clearly uh, she did before. And it's really tough for me to experience that a complete rewriting of uh, of history. First, a quick definition for those of you who may not be familiar with the term compersion. Take it away, Urban Dictionary. A feeling of joy when a loved one invests in and takes pleasure from another romantic or sexual relationship. Of course, loved one there refers to lover, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, non-binary friend. 
Poly people call compersion the opposite of jealousy. You don't feel like you're losing anything. You don't feel threatened when your husband or wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or non-binary friend is with their other lover. You feel joy for them, that you like this relationship, that there's something in it for you too. This feeling of compersion gives you a feeling of satisfaction and elation. That's for you. All right. You've asked for my reflections and I don't know what to tell you. Your wife was either lying Throughout the 20 years of your 21-year marriage when you guys were in open relationships and you both had other lovers and she said that she was feeling those compersion feelings, she's either lying then or she's lying now while she recasts the last 20 years as a torturous disaster and as a long slog through a miserable shitstorm. You can't control how your wife felt then or feels now or how she chooses to describe or frame or rewrite her history with you. And it would be a fool's errand for you to try to impose upon her your preferred narrative, even if you think her current narrative is dishonest or self-serving or a way for her to justify the end of your relationship. Relationships, marriages, as I've said, they're really a myth that two people create together. And myths are built sometimes on foundations of exaggerations, even lies. And you guys for 21 years had a myth that you created together about being happy together and about how this open relationship really worked for both of you. And maybe that was true all that time. Well, at some point it stopped being true. Your marriage is ending or over. And so your wife is creating or your soon-to-be ex-wife is creating a new myth for herself, one that justifies not the success of this relationship but its demise. And so she may be claiming to have been miserable when she wasn't. So that she doesn't feel like she failed or that she did anything wrong. So it could be a self-serving myth that she's creating about what your marriage was. Or it could be the truth of her experience. She could have been lying to you all that time. She could have been less happy in this open marriage and with this arrangement than you were or she led you to believe she was. These are things you can't know. You can't know which version is correct. You can only speak your truth. You can tell her that you had no idea she was miserable all those many years that you were together and you're sorry that she was miserable all that time and that you wished she'd said in the moment that she was miserable and maybe you guys could have course corrected in some way had you only known. But you can't tell her that she's wrong. So don't bother. You can't control this. You experienced those 20 years of openness very differently than she did. Period. The end. And soon you will be exes and you will not have to process or discuss this with her anymore. Hi, Dan. I'm a 27-year-old straight female living in the mid-Atlantic. Uh, last April, I ended my first long-term relationship. We were together for about two years and the breakup was really mutual. Um, we still talk sometimes, but I've since moved on and I'm in a new relationship now. Uh, my question is about a set of boudoir photos I had taken when my ex and I were together. Uh, we used to joke about like me going out and doing one of these sessions, and I did it because I really liked the idea of having a few really professional, really sexy photos of myself. The experience was great. I went to a great place. Um, I really liked being pampered, the makeup and the outfits. It made me feel really confident, and I really liked the results. I was only able to purchase one physical set of the photos because they are very expensive. Uh, what I ended up doing was scanning them into my computer so I would have like a digital set and then I gave the physical photos to him. 
when the relationship ended, I completely forgot about the photos. Um, it was kind of the last thing on my mind. But lately, I've been wishing I had them for myself. I want to be really clear that I don't want to give them to my new boyfriend or really anyone else. I want them for, like, me. I really like the idea of having them as I get older. This is kind of, like, nostalgic thing. I look really good. I'm really young. Kind of flirty, this crazy thing I did when I was young. Uh, I know I have the digital copies, but they're not great. And I would really like to have this physical thing in case something should happen. So... Am I in the right to ask him for the photos back? I realize I gave them to him as a gift, but when I did, I was thinking we would stay together um, a lot longer. I also don't know how much he really wants racy photos of an ex floating around and whether maybe like a new girlfriend might make him throw them away and then I'll never get them back. So help me, Dan. What do I do? This seems pretty simple. You call the boyfriend, the ex-boyfriend, and you tell him that you'd kind of like to have those photos back just because you'll probably never get photos like that taken again and they were really good. And and any girlfriend he gets in the future probably isn't going to appreciate him having these old photos, these boudoir photos that his ex took for him. So he might want to offload them. I wouldn't hesitate to call him if I were you because there's a chance he might throw them away at any moment or he may have already thrown them away. In which case, if he's already thrown them away or if he doesn't want to return them to you, you can contact the photographer and get new prints made of the negatives. I guarantee that if this person is a professional photographer, they work for some sort of photography studio, that these were kept on file and they have the negatives and they will, for a fee, print you out some additional high-res, high-quality copies of these photographs that you long to possess. Hey, Dan. So I have kind of a a basic question about a relationship. Nothing crazy, but it's the relationship I have with my dad. I've never, I I love my dad to death, don't get me wrong. And uh, I'm 27 and trying to get a better relationship with him. So um, one of the things that we have a common ground on is football. And I am a diehard Bengals fan. And so is he that he claims. Um, So we've tried to, you know, do the thing where every Sunday we get together and we watch the Bengals football game. Well, this last year, we even went out of town to go watch them play live. And my dad just makes these little comments where he says, oh, I wouldn't mind if the other team won. And uh, last week it was the playoff game and um, Bengals were winning and everything. And my dad just makes these little comments against our team. I'm trying to, you know calm myself down because I want to have a good relationship, but I'm such a diehard fan that this drives me nuts. Anytime somebody goes against a team they say they're going for, I just find so fake and infuriating. So now I have this issue where I'm trying to get a better relationship with my dad, but every time I watch football with him, I just get so angry at him. And I've, I've told him to his, I've told it to his face, like, please don't say anything negative. And my dad's a very smart guy. So he'll just kind of, he, he's kind of like a, going for the reps or something. I know it's petty or whatever, but I'm at a point now where I don't want to watch football with my dad anymore, but it's really the only common ground that we have. So Dan, should I just suck it up for the relationship or can I be brutally honest and just say, Hey dad, I love you and all, but I just can't watch football with you. Joining me by phone to help answer this one because I really don't know what to tell you. 
Mike Pesca, host of the Gist Slate's daily podcast, a panelist on Hang Up and Listen, Slate's sports podcast. He's contributed all over the place on NPR. You've heard his stuff all sorts of places, and you've read him just about everywhere except maybe the Koran. Mike, thank you so much for jumping on the phone. Yeah, absolutely. I've also not been in the new criterion, just uh, <laughs> full disclosure. So uh, I listened to this call, and I, I'm not like playing up. I'm a dumb fag, and I don't know anything about sports. But I wasn't <laughs> aware there was a football team called the Bengals. And the first thing ah. I thought of was walk like an Egyptian. Like they'd named a football team after an 80s girl rock band. But uh-huh. it turns out it's Bangals, B-A-N-G-A-L-S, which <laughs> is not, has no relationship to the Bengals. Yeah, also the current Cincinnati team does an even better cover of uh, the Simon and Garfunkel song, uh, Hazy Shade of Winter, than the actual Bengals. <laughs> so sure. uh, are the Bengals in the uh, the Super Bowl? Is this going to be a problem for this woman and her dad this weekend, potentially? No, no, but... I want to compliment you on your use of the proper noun Super Bowl. That is a, an appropriate sports term. You did good. <laughs> there was that. Did you hear that little pause? That's where I was thinking, not World Series. What is it? Oh, Super Bowl. There was this little beat where I had to like flip through the files and find the right name for this yes. sports yes. ball game. Or as I call it, the heterosexual Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, they're not. And the reason they're not gets at the very nub of this question, which is, the Bengals are a cursed team. And you're right. There is a lot. Even if you knew of, forget knowing of a team of the Bengals, if you even knew a few basic uh, strokes about the Bengals and how good they were this year, there is some subtlety here that requires, I think, a little bit of deep sports knowledge. And it goes like this. Within the world of sports, I'm going to analogize it, I think, to pop singers, diva singers. There are teams you root for, even if you're a fan of the team, everyone wants their team to win. But maybe as a defense mechanism, when your team is a certain kind of bad, you have to have a fatalism about your team. And in the NFL, there are one or two teams that absolutely epitomize this. Teams that just can't get out of their own way, that even when they have winning seasons, lose in the playoffs. And the, the Cleveland Browns are a cursed team that never wins. The Detroit Lions never win. But the I'm a New York Jets fan. We think we never win. We win fine. The Cincinnati Bengals have made the playoffs the last eight times they've made the playoffs. They lost in that first game. And this year they were in, they were winning against Pittsburgh and it looked like they were going to win. And then they started committing all these horrendous penalties and they wound up losing the game. And there were shots of crying, sad Bengal ladies, possibly your caller there, you know, women in like full Bengals gear who had their heart broken. And everyone who knows football said, how could you even invest in the Bengals? That's what they do. The Bengals break your heart. So that's why the dad, I just have to explain it to this woman that she might not get that the dad is doing something that's psychologically necessary. He's sort of girding himself against the inevitable disappointment that the Bengals are going to visit upon them. And as a 27-year-old, I don't know if she really appreciates the long history of Bengals disappointment. So while it might be annoying if she's one sort of Bengals fan, i.e. only enthusiastic, I totally get what the dad is doing. He's just trying to brace her for the inevitable disappointment. So it doesn't come as quite the shock that it might for someone so young. Yeah. And I really think it has nothing to do with the father-daughter relationship. I bet if he were watching with his friends, fellow Bengal fans, he'd be saying the same things. But probably they'd all be saying the same things. So dyed-in-the-wool Bengals fans just know the only way to root for the Bengals and some other teams that have fatalism and kind of an expect the worst. Uh, you'll only be surprised, although in the case of the Bengals, you won't get surprised. 
And so the analogy I was thinking with singers is someone like, if you're a fan of Adele, you like her because she's serene and she's flawless and she's perfect. But if you're a fan of, I don't know, Britney Spears, you probably like her and you either like or put up with or find some way to process the baggage that mm-hmm. Britney Spears brings with her. And that's what it's like with the Bengals. You can't just expect the person to flat out love the team and hope for the best. That exposes you as the fan a little bit to too much. And so really, really, it's not about the father daughter. He's not being passive aggressive. He's doing this. The only way he could bring himself to be a Bengals fan. In fact, you could argue that if he didn't do this, he'd find it impossible to be a Bengals fan. And that would get in the way of daddy daughter bonding. If I can bring my cocksucking diva expertise to your analogy about divas and pop stars, yeah. Britney's been a pop star a lot longer than Adele. I know everyone's like praising Adele for how leveled and centered, you know, how level-headed she seems to be and how centered and how and how sane, but you know, give yeah. her 10, 20 more years as one of the world's most famous people and she may be shaving her head and beating up a minivan with an umbrella too. Yeah, that's it. Do it for a decade and a half, bitch. <laughs> <Have more than that>. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Hello? Okay. We just had a meltdown in a Starbucks. Hello? And I'm going to throw out some sports knowledge because I grew up on the north side of Chicago and even I was having some uh, vibing with some recognition here that what you just described of the Bengals sounds a lot like they're the Cubs of football. Well, but the Cubs are lovable losers and that's their identity. And there's not a lot of heartbreak. It's more like they're the Red Sox because the Red Sox used to get close and lose in the playoffs and lose in the World Series. But the Cubs never really did. The Cubs have their own unique niche going on. So it's more about a team that is greatly disappointing, but also dashed hopes. And it's dealing with that emotional roller coaster that makes you adopt these uh, coping mechanisms. So it'd be as if, it would be as if the Cubs got into the playoffs every year for a hundred years, but never into the world series. Yeah. So, as if Bartman kept getting really good seats and messing with foul balls. We or have, have I gone too far? And you <laughs> <laughs> we haven't answered her question though. Her question ultimately is we haven't answered her question, which is, can you tell a loved one you won't watch football with them? Is that something you've ever had to tell a loved one? Uh, well, since I've, I've either loved uh, my parents who I watch football with my sons who were fine with watching football and then uh, any other women I've loved have not liked football that much so it's not actually not come up <laughs> <laughs> well it's a good thing you didn't fall in love with me because I'm sure you would have had to stop watching football with me because I literally <laughs> will sit there and go what team is ours what color are our guys why are they wearing so much clothing I saw you exulting in the Seahawks run for a couple of years, actually. Don't deny it. I was paying attention. I wouldn't say exulting. You couldn't live in Uh Seattle during the last couple of seasons without having to acknowledge that this thing was happening. It was like being in a burning building without going, I smell smoke. Yeah. And so imagine if, uh, yeah, the Seahawks went from never winning to just being tremendously successful, although they've had some recent disappointments. But if there was, I do also think that it is, I know it's a defense mechanism and I try to uh, be compassionate to people, but I think it's just a bad way to root for sports. I think the dad should try to be a little more enthusiastic. I do think it would help the uh, daughter to know where the dad is coming from. Maybe a compromise can be reached. Like, dad, now I understand and I understand why you do it, but can we at least have some rules about not being overtly negative during my one time of joyousness? 
Mike Pesca, host of The Gist, Slate's daily podcast. I am a daily listener to The Gist, if you're not already listening to The Gist. And you probably are, because The Gist is more popular than my stupid podcast. You should be listening to The Gist, hosted by Mike Pesca. Thanks so much for jumping on the phone. And will you uh, come back if we ever get another sports question again? It's been like seven years of this and the first one. <laughs> so you're not, you're not going to overcommit yourself if you say yes. Yes, I'll see you in uh, seven. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. I am a single lady, and I am dating. I'm 28. I met this guy on OkCupid, and we hit it off. We went on quite a few dates within a month, and I we had I had a few bad experiences with him and decided I didn't want to keep dating him, so I sent him a text, very clear, this is, you know, I don't want to see you anymore, this is why. And he freaked out, basically wouldn't take no for an answer. Now he's sending me flowers. I'm still texting him. Hey, look, I'm sorry. I'm just not interested. This is why. Um, And he just wouldn't seem to accept what I was saying. So I just blocked his number. I feel kind of bad. I don't want to be rude, but I'm not really sure what else to do. You're not listening to me. Like, and this has happened before. Maybe I'm just not being clear as I think I'm being, but I don't know. Do you think that it's the wrong thing to do to block someone after you repeatedly explain to them what's going on? I I don't know. I'm not sure. So let me know what you think. The problem could be you. It could be what you're saying or what you're not saying. Sometimes when I hear from women who are trying to shake men that they're not interested in, I'll ask them what they've said to those guys. And what they've said is – I'm too busy right now. I have to focus on work. I'm not over my last boyfriend. And what the guy hears is keep at it, keep at it, keep at, keep at it, keep coming at me because maybe things will set it down at work and then I'll be ready for you. Maybe I'll, you know, in a week or two more, maybe I'll be finally over my ex-boyfriend and be ready to date you. So when you say those things that sound like polite, nice, face-saving lies – that are meant intended to spare that person's feelings. That person doesn't get the message that you're not interested. What you need to say, not interested in you, don't want to date you, whatever, you're a nice person, but not right for me and goodbye and stop contacting me. And often people hope that that's what the person will hear when they say, I'm too busy right now for a relationship. And Women, in particular, I'm going to make a generalization about 3.5 billion people. There will be hundreds of millions of exceptions. Women are socialized to defer to men, to, in all instances, worry first about his ego and not hurting his feelings and not coming across like a bitch. So women will, the culture forces women to opt first for the polite, face saving white lie. The culture also tells men that they are entitled to women. Entitled to their bodies, entitled to their attentions. So you may have said, fuck off, go away, not interested, stop contacting me. And he could be contacting you still. Block him. Tell him you will go to the police if this is the case where despite your telling him to leave you alone, to go the fuck away, to stop this, he continues to send you flowers. He continues to harass you and stalk you. Tell him you will go to the police. Acquaint yourself with the stalking regulations in your area, in the city where you live. Because someone continuing to contact you after you've told them to fuck off and leave you alone could be in violation of the law. And you could go to the cops and file a police report and really get them in trouble. 
that could escalate things if you're dealing with some sort of testosterone, poison, toxic masculinity dude, right? You might not want to go to DEFCON, whatever that might be. But if you've been unclear, be clear. If you've been clear and he keeps contacting you, you are completely within your rights to block him. Block his phone number, block him on Facebook, block him on Instagram, block him on Twitter. You're within your rights to do all of those things even if you were unclear and he didn't take the message. You don't have to accept the flowers or the phone calls or be patient or be understanding or defer. And he is not entitled to your time or your attention or your fear, which in many cases is what these guys are trying to gin up. These guys who keep coming at you after you tell them to fuck off and go away. Some of them are getting off on the fear that they can instill in you. I have dated guys like that. It is not fun. It is scary. That feeling of entitlement that we talk about men having when it comes to women. Men often have that when it comes to the person they are seeing. And I have encountered gay men with that same entitled attitude, same entitlement toxic problem around the men that they date. And the only thing you can do when you're burdened with someone like that, when someone like that is coming at you, is block them. Block them, block them, block them without hesitation and without apology. Hi, Dan. Young gay man here. I'm just calling my partner of almost two years has recently cheated on me. And, you know, I'm just really struggling with it. You know, the cheating was something, you know, that someone could get over. Uh, the problem I'm having is, is he in our relationship was always, you know, very jealous, always very pushing of monogamy, always, you know, questioning me. You know, I stuck to our commitment and he ended up leaving his work in the middle of the work day, meeting a couple at a local coffee shop and going home with them. And, you know, Dan, I just would really like to hear your advice on this. You know, a lot of my friends and family say, you know, this is something, you know, especially the way he has been with monogamy and pushing the commitment and, you know, the jealousy and things like that. I would love some advice. Here's a funny story that I'd like to share with you. Many, many years ago, before I lived in Seattle, I dated this guy who was really hyper about monogamy and really jealous and really, really jealous. Would get mad if I talked to another guy, would blow up guys if they talked to me because they were clearly trying to move in on his boyfriend. And he cheated on me. The first time I turned my back, he cheated on me. I'm not the monogamous type. So when he confessed, big teary confession, then he cheated on me and he felt terrible. I stood there looking at him and then I said, was the guy hot? Can we have a three-way? And he blew up at me because I wasn't mad. I And I stood there going, saying to him, I can't believe that after all this grief you've given me about being monogamous, that you cheated on someone and I'm in trouble for having the wrong reaction to you cheating on me with someone. Clearly monogamy isn't something you want or are interested in or are good at. And I'm totally letting you off the hook here. I'm like, yeah, monogamy. I'm not that interested in it either. I'm not that invested in it. And I don't think it takes anything away from what we have that you fucked somebody else. And the moral of that story is you can't fucking win with the jealous controlling type. You can't fucking beat the green eyed monster. That person, that jealous controlling person is setting you up for failure. They want you to fail. And in this case, or cases like your boyfriend or my long ago college era ex-boyfriend, what some of them want is you to be monogamous, but not for them to have to be monogamous. 
So they terrorize you about how committed you are and how much you love them and how important monogamy is and they blow up at you when they think you might have cheated on them. Look at your text messages. Scream when you check out the barista because that means you want to fuck the barista. And then, of course, that's the good defense in the form of a good offense, right? Is that how you say that? That sports metaphor? I'm bad with sports metaphor. They're throwing up so much flack and smoke about your behavior that you're not even going to have time to scrutinize them about their behavior. I don't think you should continue to see this guy because you're young and presumably he's young as well. And like controlling abusive shitbags, they don't learn what a problem this is going to be for them and that they need to conquer it. They need to get help and get the fuck over it until they get dumped for it over and over and over again. You staying in this relationship despite his behavior and his betrayal and his hypocrisy the message that sends him is he can get away with that kind of behavior, that kind of hypocrisy, and those kinds of betrayals, that you will forgive them, forgive him, take him back. And I promise you, if you take him back, he will continue to mau-mau you about monogamy while doing whatever the fuck he wants. Because this is about jealousy and control and his desire to control you but not be controlled himself or have to control himself. So – he needs to learn a lesson. The only way for him to learn the lesson of how unacceptable this is and the problems that this shit is going to cause, not for his partners, not for his boyfriend, but for him, is for him to lose you, for this relationship to end because of his behavior and his hypocrisy. DTMFA. Hi, my name is Megan. Um, I'm a bisexual female, 23 years old, and... I am a massage therapist, and I made a questionable decision not too long ago. Um, I had a client request a massage at a hotel, and I do out-call massages, so I went and did it. And he wanted me to um, give him a happy ending, and I said no at first, and he kept pushing, and I got angry and told him I was leaving. I left, and then I kind of thought about it and decided that for the right price, I'd be okay with doing that. So I did it. I did the happy ending, got the money. Everything was good. Then a couple weeks later, he said he would wire me some money to help me fix my car. He lives in a different state. So he wired me the money, which I received and at my, at my home address. And then he sent me $500 more because... The first one that he sent came late. I told him I didn't get it, so he sent me 500 more. And I cashed both of the money orders he sent me. So I technically got $1,000 from him. And now he wants to see me again when he comes here, and I really don't want to see him. And I don't really feel good about the first time. And now he has my home address. I don't really know what to do. If you could help me out, should I pay him back the money, or should I just ignore him, see what happens? I'd love your advice. I'm curious how it is that he knew you were having car problems. Presumably you two continued to text or talk with each other after this happy ending hand job massage at the hotel where he was staying. You do out call massage and you felt conflicted about the happy ending massage that you gave him and a little squicked out. And yet you continue to be in contact with this guy and then you cashed 
a money order that he sent. And then after that one arrived late, you cashed on top of that one, the one he sent to replace the one that you both thought was never going to arrive. And the whole thing just sounds a little squicky to me. And I get why you're concerned. This guy is from out of town. When you decided to let him, when you graciously decided to allow him to pay for your car repairs and cash both of these money orders, you had to give him your home address. It's not unthinkable that he's going to come to town expecting that you owe him because you kind of owe him. I don't know what your conversations were like about these money orders, whether he framed them as favors, but people sometimes do favors so that they can manipulate people in the wake of them. And maybe he is a terrible $500 at a crack money order sending monster who only sent you those money orders so that he could leverage another hand job out of you. But there's plenty of people in the world who will give guys hand jobs for less and plenty of happy ending not massage therapists, happy ending sex workers out there who would have done the same again for less. You aren't his only option. So I sit here wondering, you know, we're supposed to think the guy's a monster and you're in danger, but it sounds like you kind of used him and maybe cranked him up. And now what do you do? Well, if you don't want to feel beholden to him anyway, send the fucking money back. At the very least, send 500 of the money back because of the misunderstanding. The second 500 was sent because the first 500 was presumed to be lost and it wasn't. And then you cash both checks. Well, send the second 500 back with your apology and tell him in a note that you feel a little awkward and weird about what went down. And that was the first time you'd ever done a happy ending massage. And you've decided it's the last time you ever want to do a happy ending massage because you just don't feel good about it. It doesn't sit right with you. You're not a sex worker. And thank him for his kind attention and for his understanding. And then if you're really worried he's going to show up at your house because he has your address, he's told you when he's going to be in town. Have a friend sleep over that weekend. Go on a little trip yourself with your repaired car and go see mom two towns over or whatever. If you're really worried that he's going to turn up, take a couple of days out of town, get away, or have a slumber party with your biggest, butchest girlfriends. And in the future, don't accept money from people under any sort of similar, even vaguely similar circumstance. Don't use people like this. And you won't have to worry about the ways they may wish to use you in turn. We're going to take a quick break from your calls to do a little interview with someone. A couple of weeks ago on the podcast, I took a question from someone who was worried about HPV and – I gave the standard HPV response, which is almost all sexually active adults have been exposed or are carriers, that very few people actually come down with HPV-related cancers. And the fear of HPV seems to exist out of all proportion to the actual harm HPV does us as individuals or a species. In the days after, there were headlines everywhere. HPV raises head cancer risk sevenfold. And when you dug into the story, it was – two times to 22 times greater risks for certain strains of head cancers when it came to HPV exposure. So was I wrong to advise people not to worry over much about HPV? Was I wrong to tell people who have multiple partners that they are essentially signing up for HPV and they should be chill about it? We got the author of the study on the phone with us today to discuss the results of his study and we put the question to him, should we all stop having oral sex and multiple partners? 
Joining me by phone, the author of the study, Dr. Ilir Agalio. Thank you so much, Dr. Agalio, for jumping on the phone today. Thank you very much for inviting me. So a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, somebody called in because they were full of stress and anxiety because they had HPV. They had been exposed to it. They'd had they'd been diagnosed with HPV and they'd had sex with someone else without disclosing it, without remembering to disclose it. And then they went and disclosed it afterwards. They went back to this person and said, hey, I have HPV. I should have told you. I usually tell people I, I neglected. I'm sorry. And they were all concerned about how serious a transgression this was, failure to disclose HPV. And mm-hmm. I think people should disclose when they have sexually transmitted infections. But on the grand scale of things, I told her that it wasn't that big a deal. Most people, most sexually active adults have been exposed to HPV or have had or have HPV. And in most cases, it doesn't result in any negative outcomes or consequences. Most people who have HPV don't even realize they have HPV. And I told her not to worry about it. And this was in the context, the sex that this woman had was in the context of a, of a casual threesome. It was three people having sex together for fun. Was I wrong to frame HPV in that way, considering your study and your findings? Well, I think I want to summarize a little bit the role of HPVs um, in cancer. And um, as um, many of you might be aware, um, the HPVs, uh, especially HPV 16 and 18, are two major types of HPVs that are related to cervical cancer. So, um, so far, um, these have uh, cervical cancer is one of the main cancers that have been linked to HPV, but there are a number of other cancers, including anal cancer as well as um, head and neck cancers. Um, in respect to head and neck cancers, the prior studies that have been done uh, before our uh, paper was published had shown a positive association between um, oral HPV and head and neck cancers. However, the key piece that was missing from these studies was that HPV detection in the oral cavity was at the same time of the cancer diagnosis. So it wasn't clear whether HPV uh, infection causes um, head and neck cancer. Mm -hmm. So um, the uh, advantage of our study was that we had um, oral mouthwash samples among 9,600 uh, 96, uh, 96, mm-hmm. uh, patients who are uh, cancer-free at baseline, and they were followed for cancer for about four years. Um, and uh, these were samples that the patients had provided uh, for two large studies, uh, the American Cancer Society Cancer Prevention Study 2, and then a large study that the National Cancer Institute had done on the prostate, lung, colorectal, and ovarian cancer screening trial. Um, so um, anyway, the, um, the main um, association that we found was that um, HPV-16, which was present in the oral mouthwash, uh, preceded the development of head and neck cancers and was uh, strongly associated with um, a particular type of head and neck cancers called oropharyngeal cancers, which are uh, the cancers of the back of the throat that involves the tonsil and the uh, base of the tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, so the association is also very strong. It's a 22-fold increased risk, meaning that people who have an HPV-16 infection are 22 more times to develop head and neck cancers than those who do not have the cancer. Having said that, 
Um, I should mention that the prevalence of oral HPV-16 is, in general population, is relatively low. It's about 1% to 2%. So that although this population that are carriers carries a lot of risk, it wouldn't affect a lot of population because the prevalence is rather low. Okay, but what you found was people who have this HPV-16 orally were roughly 22 times likelier to develop a, a head and neck cancer. And that was 132 cases in the four years you tracked these 96,000 people. Correct. Which works out to, uh, you know, coming down with cancer rate over those four years of 0.0013%. Yeah, so it's a, it's a low incidence of cancer. But that's usually the incidence of head and neck cancers. These are cancers that are not very common. They are really rare cancers. And these are cancers that have been mostly associated with smoking and alcohol, but now new research has shown, including our data, that there is a lot of these types of cancers that are, particularly oropharyngeal cancers, that are associated with um, HPV. And I think there are two things people need to bear in mind. There is a vaccine for specifically HPV-16, which was the one you found that was most significantly associated with the development of Correct. cancer. And so people should be getting their children vaccinated, their sons, their daughters, both, and there are some people out there who argue that adults should also be vaccinated for HPV. Um, yes. Um, however, um, there is a certain age limit that you can get vaccinated because if you are over a certain age that you probably were exposed to HPVs, then um, the vaccine might not be that effective. Although, there hasn't been any particular studies um, looking at the effectiveness of vaccine in older versus younger. So I should um, be careful in stating that. And there, there is a test for this HPV, for this Correct. exposure, this, this 16, that you can go in, you can do this mouthwash test, and you can determine whether you have already been exposed to this uh, strain of HPV, and then you can monitor your health. Correct? Yes, definitely. I think... I think um, a key message is also that we have to understand better the natural history of oral HPVs because we know very little about the persistence of the virus in the oral cavity and the clearance. So I think these are key also that the research would need to be, more research need to be done. So the takeaways here are vaccinate, particularly your children, um, and monitor your own health, get tested, figure out if you have this strain, and then be observant. Is the takeaway everybody stop having oral sex? I wouldn't specifically advocate for that. It's just that in our data, we didn't have a particular uh, information on sexual behavior. And some of the associations we found with um, other strains of HPV that are usually in the skin Mm -hmm. uh, the, they are called the beta and gamma HPVs. Um, these are, um, you know, infections that it can uh, usually lead to warts or uh, cancers of the skin. Um, but uh, the transmission of them from the skin through the mouth can occur through just contacts or just, um, you know, putting fingers in the mouth through different activities during the day. Or some people like to on their nails, and so that's actually direct contact of fingers through the mouth. But the, the, uh, the, this thing that people are wrestling with and trying to figure out is, are the, are the rewards of oral sex worth the risks of a head or neck cancer at some point down the road if you're exposed to HPV orally? 
And are we going to be able to get an answer from the medical community to that question? Because, you know, people see this headline that uh, HPV associated with a 7 to 22 time greater risk of coming down with head or neck cancer. And people hear 22 time greater risk of developing head and neck cancer. And they just think they're almost guaranteed to come down with a head or neck cancer when we're talking about very small numbers to begin with. And should we be asking people to panic or should we be trying to calm people down? Which should I, which should, what should I be doing in my role as sex advice jackass? <laughs> um, I think um, as a researcher, I'll just um, say we have to be cautious. I mean, uh, but I, I would advocate that people um, practice safe sex but also get tested um, very often because um, – and potentially vaccinate. So I think if, if our research – gets corroborated from other studies, particularly with beta and, and gamma, that would actually, hopefully, for the major public health implications would be that a vaccine that could cover a lot more HPVs could be developed so that people get vaccinated mm-hmm. and prevented. But, um, you know, coming back to your question, I think also the prevalence of oral HPVs, especially 16, is not that high. So, um, on the other hand, having regular checkups, and I think even in the dentist office, they could have this test because um, a screening test because we use, they use a lot of oral mouthwash when you go to the dentist, so they could implement like testing for oral HPVs, and um, you know I think it's um, it's a screen. It will be useful to have it as a screening test. And how survivable are these cancers when they're detected early? Um, I, we didn't have information in our study, but other studies have shown that, um, you know, the survival, in general, the head and neck cancers have poor survival, but um, in the survival rates um, depend on the site and the stage. Um, so, uh, you know, it varies a little bit. Okay. So I really want to pin you down on this. Should people stop having oral sex? <laughs> um, I... Um, I wouldn't recommend that on the top of my head. I think we have to be careful and uh, more research is needed about it. I, at this point, um, advo- advocating like public health um, measures in terms of like, you know, testing and the vaccination would be actually a good preventive measure. And knowing what we know about the prevalence of HPV infection in uh, among sexually active adults, I often say to people, if you're going to be the kind of person who has many partners, if the pleasures of having many partners uh, is something that you want in your life, you are in a sense volunteering for HPV exposure. Like It's going to come your way. You can't have many, many sexual partners without exposure to HPV, just as a numbers thing, just the odds. Right, but it's not only HPV, it's a, a lot more other STDs as well. P- but yes, Potentially, but, but other STDs that are easier to... Uh, prevent transmission of. If you're using condoms uh, effectively, if you're practicing safe sex techniques, you're going to be protected from HIV. You're going to have effective protection from gonorrhea and from syphilis, but it's really difficult to protect uh, from HPV infection because you can get it from simple skin-to-skin contact, oral contact, even not oral sex, just making out, you can get it. You know, people right. think that yes. the risk only That's comes if you put a, you know, if you go down on someone, if you, if it's oral genital contact, there comes the risk. But no, just kissing presents that risk. So do, well, do so we, do we think, say to people, is it responsible to say to people, 
you know, there are benefits to having one sex partner, certainly around health. There are benefits to having many sex partners around variety and pleasure, if that gives you pleasure to have many sex partners. But what comes bundled up with many sex partners is this increased risk. So get vaccinated, be vigilant, have yourself tested, but you can't be you can't have many multiple you can have multiple sex partners you can't have many sex partners and then go to pieces when you find out you've been exposed to HPV or you have HPV because you kind of signed up for that and in most cases it's not that bad yeah i think the the main messages are um yeah get tested and potentially i mean for younger people i think vaccination especially uh for adolescents, it's it's a key because I think at least the vaccine will prevent from these high-risk HPVs that are well-known and, you know, established carcinogens. So I, um, I think these are the two main messages as a physician I would, I would recommend. And an epidemiologist, of course. <laughs> Dr. Ilya Agaliu, thank you so much for jumping on the phone. For folks out there who want to read the study themselves, where can they find it? Where can they find it online? So um, the study was published at uh, JAMA Oncology um, this uh, Thursday. It's available online. Um, the abstract, I think the, the full text um, is uh, per general policy you have to pay, but um, um, it's available online. And that's the Journal of American Medical Association's JAMA Oncology Journal. Yes. Thank you so much for jumping on the phone with us today. We really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Hey, Dan. 20 or 8-year-old gay guy uh, living on the East Coast. Uh, basically, about three years ago, I met this guy, and we saw each other for a couple weeks, and it was great, and I really thought going somewhere, and then he got transferred to Seattle for work. We both decided just to end it, and that we didn't want to do long distance, and we went our separate ways. Uh, cut to now, I just ended a two-and-a-half-year relationship a couple weeks ago, with my ex-boyfriend. We lived together and we broke up and decided to be roommates because we couldn't get out of our lease. And so he moved into the other room. And basically we've been broken up for about a year, even though we just broke up because we've been distant. I haven't, we haven't had sex in a year. We both knew that we were unhappy. He didn't want me in a relationship I was unhappy with. So we ended it a couple weeks ago. And things actually have been really great since we decided to end it. Uh, living with him is really easy as a roommate. Um, I have no sexual attraction or desire to him. That's probably the best thing we both could have done. We're just waiting for at least to be up. Cut to last week when boy that moved to Seattle calls me up and says, hey, I just moved back into town for work. Let's get together. So went on a couple dates. It was great. I really like this guy. It's like picking up where we left off. I'm not ready to rush through anything, but I could see it turning into something. And I really like him. So my real question is, how do I make sure that this guy isn't a rebound guy? I, like I said, we, my, we've been broken up for a couple weeks now, but the last year of our relationship has not been a real relationship. Um, so I just want to make sure that I'm not making this guy a rebound guy, even though I'm totally over my ex. Um, he knows I live with my ex. Oh, my God, I'm going to have to cut you off. So much backstory. It's like reading the Old Testament. How do you determine this guy isn't a rebound guy? You date him, and then you'll find out if you 
never break up with him, then clearly, if you wind up with him for the rest of your life, he wasn't a rebound guy. If you only did him for a week and it falls apart, maybe he was a rebound guy or maybe he wasn't somebody you could be with for the long haul and you will frame that as rebound, but you'll never really know for sure because what does it mean when people say someone's a rebound person, a relationship on the rebound? What does that mean? It's just a relationship that came at some amorphous, hard-to-determine date after the demise of the past relationship, but almost everyone has been in a relationship or two already. So aren't all of our relationships rebound relationships by some estimation? Date him. You'll figure it out. The only way to find out if you two are meant for each other is if you give him a chance to be with you and to not date someone because the relationship that you're in that's ending ended, I don't know, fewer than six months ago, fewer than three months ago, fewer than three weeks ago. What is the amount of time that needs to pass between the end of one relationship and the beginning of another relationship for it to not be a rebound relationship. There is no set or firm date. And the only way to figure out if this guy is someone that you're going to be with for a while is to go be with him for a while and see. Hi, Ben. I'm a 27-year-old female lesbian uh, from Pittsburgh. And uh, obviously I have an issue. I was hanging with this girl that I work with and she's gone for like six months. And basically... I really, really like her, and I don't know, we've been hanging out for the last six months, and she, like, does think we've traveled together, and look, when we travel together, and she knows I like her. I've been very, very adamant about that. Like, she knows that. Uh, but when we travel together, she comes out in her underwear and with a glass of wine and asks me, like, if I want to give her a massage and things like that. And I, I like, yeah, I know there's things that are leading me on, but she's, like, a really, really nice person, and I... I don't think she's leading me on to be, like, a, a, a jerk. Um, I was, and I don't know what I should do. Like, she's asking me to possibly move with her to California. I know I, I probably should just have a conversation with her about that. And uh, I, I I did try to kiss her. I tried to kiss her a couple times, and she said no. And it was, like, kind of early in, like, this, this weird, intimate friendship that we have. Uh, probably, like, the first time it happened, I, I asked her, and it was like a year ago. And then it happened again, like maybe six months ago, where I just tried to kiss her. And she was like, what the hell? But like every Friday, we're together, and we're, you know, sitting on the couch and cuddling, and and I give her a massage, and I say, it's okay. And she's, she's okay with that. So I, I always, like, get these calls from people that, you know, they don't want advances from their gay friends and stuff, and I understand that, but she says she's straight. And I care, you know, that's fine, but I don't know. It, it seems like I don't know why she would go over my house every weekend to, to to hang out and, like, have me massage her back every week or something like that. I don't know. Like, it's like I'm getting mixed messages. If you were 17 and this girl was 17, I might give this relationship my blessing because when people are young and closeted, they will play games like this. Oh, I'm not gay, but can I have a back rub and they'll hang out. I had a boyfriend for a while. Well, not a boyfriend. I had a friend who was a boy for a while who wanted a lot of back rubs and I always felt really awkward about it because I was already gay and out and I had no idea why this person who was straight wanted so many fucking back rubs from his only gay friend. And in the end, I found out why. 
he wanted all those back rubs from me. And I was only too delighted to find out in the end. But these are young, closety games. And you are a 27-year-old out lesbian and you shouldn't – you aren't in a stage of your life anymore where you should be making time for this kind of bullshit. This girl is probably bi or a lesbian herself. But she is not yet out and she is – enjoying your attention because it's as close as she's allowing herself to get to lesbian sex at the moment and enjoying the physical contact. But she's a closet case and you're 27 fucking years old and not a closeted teenager or a just out teenager. You have options. You can get out there in the world and date out women, lesbian or bi. You don't need this. I'm a straight girl. Give me a massage bullshit. And there's also the possibility that she is indeed a straight girl. Just very comfortable with homosocial contact and enjoying, on some level, torturing you. Enjoying the attention she gets from you and comfortable enough with her own heterosexuality that she can get physical attention from you without feeling threatened or insecure. And so she's giving you just enough tactile physical contact to keep you dancing in circles around her because she is a narcissist who enjoys torturing her lesbian buddy and enjoys seeing how you will degrade yourself to be with her. Either way, run from this person. Have nothing to do with this person. Unless you can get in a time machine and you can both be 17 again and she can be playing these closeted give me a massage games at which stage of life this bullshit is excusable. Late 20s, that bullshit is not excusable. Whichever one it is, closet, actually straight, you need to do the same thing. You need to run. All right. My question is about my wife's vagina. When we have sex, I obviously ejaculate, and my semen goes inside her. For the past 20 years, we've needed to have paper towels nearby um, because she's unable to hold it inside when she goes to the bathroom. Um, it drips all over, gets on the sheets. It's just nasty. Uh, I, I mean, I'm perfectly fine with body fluids, but with the way this happens, it's just nasty. And we'd both like a, to solve this problem, um, uh, but I'm not sure what the, the, the source of the problem is. Um, is it that her kegel muscles are too weak and she needs to tighten those up? Or is this something that every woman has to deal with? And uh, I just don't remember... Um, prior to marriage because I was either drunk, self-absorbed, whatever, and just didn't notice my sexual partners prior to my wife going through this. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Maybe you do. Um, please help me with my wife's vagina. Heterosexual sex is so disgusting. We don't have this problem with butts. Seems to me that either your wife could, I don't know, do a bunch of kegels or learn to do handstands and walk to the bathroom on her hands or you guys could just have a pile near the bed of what we like to call cum rags. And if it dribbles and drips on her way to the bathroom from the bed, she can just put a towel between her legs for that long walk of game. Not shame, walk of game. Rarely, I like to say after 25 years in the advice scam racket, do I get a question that I haven't gotten before. And this qualifies. This is a question that I have not received before. I am aware that gravity does things. I'm aware that people leak. I've seen it with my own eyes. But I didn't ever get a question about it being that big a problem. Maybe it's a volume issue. Maybe you 
make a lot of cum. Some guys are geysers. So you could be blaming the wife for being not kegled up when the problem is the volume of the ejaculate that you're pumping into her. No one could keep in. She could be a gymnast and it's still going to dribble out of her. But if there are other listeners out there who have encountered this problem and found a solution, you are invited to call in and share your hard-earned wisdom with this caller about his problem. Hey, Dan. I'm a gay guy living in New York City. Um, I have a comment for the guy who's the gay guy who's interested in straight guys. I was like that when I was younger. It sounds like he was, I think he said he was 23. It sounds like he's young, probably came out recently. When I was younger, I was just like him. And as I've gotten older, I've gotten more and more attracted to effeminate, for lack of a better word, gay men. And at this point, I'm not even attracted to those kinds of guys anymore. Like the, your caller was... I, you almost got to saying this to him, but I think that it honestly changes. I think that it's a phase that he'll outgrow as evidenced by my experience. And I'm also in a therapy group with a bunch of other gay men around my age. And I mentioned this recently and they all agreed that that's something that they also grew out of. So I think it's just a phase that's going to pass for him that comes from being afraid of being gay, being insecure, all that stuff. Hi, this comment is for episode 483 for the guy who um, doesn't like anal and thinks maybe he is should identify as a woman, trans woman. Being somebody who identifies as passive is not the same thing as being someone who identifies as a woman. Uh, hey, Dan, I was the guy on the show this week uh, who was looking for advice on how to get some videos that my wife and I had made taken off the Internet. So in your response, your guest, uh, Bailey J., admitted that her guilty pleasure was masturbating to archived footage of couples having webcam sex. And I just wanted you to know that that kind of makes everything okay. It's pretty cool to know that thanks to the magic of the Internet, for once, a porn star might be getting off to a video of me. It warms my heart. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to report a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow the amazing and hilarious Mike Pesca on Twitter at Pescami. P-E-S-C-A-M-I. Speaking of Twitter, Lucy Saunders tweets... Fucking loving Fake Dan Savage and the Savage Lovecast. Fucking loving you fucking back, Lucy. Thanks for the tweet. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for